Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing the show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out tangibondnetwork.com. You can look them up, and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile-friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains. You can do it. You can do it. Check it out. tangibondnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos, Josh Peterson and I speculate on the future of the X-Men franchise due to the success of the hit movie Logan. We then share our concerns for Mass Effect Andromeda and if this iteration will live up to the series' past titles. Brian Wegner stops by to tell us his thoughts on the game A Pixel Story, and then we discuss if the Pirates of the Caribbean series has overstayed its welcome. And we're also sharing our thoughts on some of our all-time favorite movies. It's another packed house on today's show. So thank you for joining us as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend, He's the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media, which does a numerous array of podcasts. You got to check that out, Humanica Media on Facebook. And then also they throw some stuff our way at Pop Culture Cosmos. He also is the director of Ghost Toasters, which is also there. He's you know writing books like Vendetta Dark, which is already available on Amazon, and the upcoming Congratulations, You Suck. He is the man that's just like wide ranging when it comes to the media landscape. It's Josh Peterson. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm having some deja vu here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm good, man. Thanks for it's it's always fun to be on here. Thanks for pushing my stuff, and you know, my stuff is a part of the pop culture cosmos universe. So oh, that's you know, good. We're not we're not two separate entities. We're two cosmic beings just spinning in orbit 
But it's it's truly a pleasure to have you back on because I know I also want to publicly thank you. And and first of all, I want to thank everyone out there, you the listener, for making us the number one show. That's right. The Pop Culture Cosmos Show is the number one show on the podcast radio network. We're available 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Podcast Radio Network. And from all of us who are a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, Rob McCallum, Christian Zamudio, Salvador Villa, Chris Bonner, everybody else, Douglas Hoyabu, everybody who else has been been a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, we truly appreciate all your help because you've now made us the number one show on the Podcast Radio Network. And we're so appreciative of you, you listening out there. And then you can also catch our other show, which debuted in the top 20, the PCC Multiverse, on the Podcast Radio Network at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Fridays. So we're Monday and Friday. So for great pop culture greatness, it's check it out, you know, both Monday and Friday right here on the Podcast Radio Network. And if you cannot get a hold of us live on our, on our original airing, tell you what, you can always download our show available on, on numerous outlets, including podcast.com, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangent Network, and the Gun Geek Network as well. We truly appreciate however you get a hold of us as far as listening to us. And then if wait, you wait, 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 wait. We're not on Napster? No, we're not on Napster. Thank goodness that, you know, we'd, we'd never see the light of day as far as uh, airings. It'd just be pirated like no tomorrow, but, you know, we won't talk about that. Those are the good old days for a lot of people. So I wouldn't know who, but um, needless to say, we truly appreciate it. I want to thank also our, our sponsors, Retro City Games, the leaders in gaming in Southern Nevada. Check them out, Retro City Games, on Facebook. Rob McCallum Films, robmccallumfilms.com to keep up with all the latest work on all the film projects that he's up to, robmccallumfilms.com. And, of course, a big thank you to our latest sponsor, Always Green Synthetic Turf and Putting Greens. That's Always Green Synthetic Turfs and Putting Greens. They're available in the Huntington Beach area. You check them out, agsgreen.com. That's agsgreen.com. And then also they've got, like I said, if you're in the Southern California area and you really want to beautify your home, that's the place to go. Always green synthetic turfs and putting greens. Thank all of the, our sponsors for all their support in making Pop Culture Cosmos the number one show on the podcast radio network. So we've got a great show lined up for you today. Got another great song from Hyperschmidt on the way. Also, Josh, tell me a little bit more about what Brian is bringing to the table and what he's got, because he's got an audio review of it too coming up right up in today's episode. Yeah, did you read that review? I, I mean, I've, I've known Brian for a while. And I just, I, I didn't think he could write something like that. So yeah, it, it was, it was very well thought out. And if you want to check out his full review of a Pixel Story, that's a Pixel Story. He reviewed the PlayStation Four version. You want to check it out on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. But we're giving you the abridged audio version that's coming up later in the show. So we truly appreciate him for doing that, and publicly want to thank thank him for doing that as well. So most appreciative of of his efforts. So uh, it's going to be a great show for us indeed. Um, before we go into what we're going to talk about in our first part of the show, what's going on with Humanica Media? There's a lot going on with Humanican Media. Um, okay, folks, thanks for listening to us. That ticks up the whole hour. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to make sure that Pop Culture Cosmos doesn't run out of material. 
So, um, yeah, there, there's right now. Uh, this this past week, we released uh, two uh, two new things. We got the What About This podcast just released. That's our brand new podcast, which features four uh, really smart guys sitting around talking about things that are that people think about but don't usually bring up. Um, but yeah, please check it out. It's a great, honestly, it's probably one of the my favorite things I've ever uh, produced. Tell you what, a lot of people can hear a lot of your great stuff on the PCC Multiverse show that's on Friday nights on 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. So definitely looking forward to that indeed. Well, I want to ask you a question as far as what's going on here in, in, in pop culture. I guess the big thing right now uh, is Logan. Uh, it went off to a great start this weekend. 85 million plus here domestically, over 150 million internationally. It's gotten taken a nice haul in this first weekend out, especially for an R-rated film. But I want to ask you, do you think Logan's success and the fact that this, I think, according to him, he said in several interviews, is going to be his last go-round as Wolverine. Do you think that's going to be a problem for the X-Men franchise going forward? Yes, I do. I, I think that a lot of people, I mean, me personally, I don't know about you, but I like, I've gone to the last few X-Men movies, uh, hoping that the ones that, you know, they didn't announce Wolverine would be a part of, but I've gone into him hoping to see a cameo from Wolverine because he's honestly like he, he's the most interesting character in the X-Men universe. I know there are others out there, but they're like, they, they you know, they have your typical like teeny bopper stories, whereas Logan has a story of a, you know, he's, he's alone. He has no past or he has a past, but he doesn't remember it. And there's just, there's a lot of material there to go off of. And, and what makes me sad is that Lo, uh, Hugh Jackman's leaving before they really even got a chance to make some of his like really, really great storylines. So I think that, I, I mean, personally, I don't think Hugh Jackman's done. I think that, you know, they Fox was smart and they left it open for him to come back. Yeah, because the, of the various timelines that they have going. Um, but it's just, it's it, to me, it's sad. And I think that, you know, moving forward, they're going to be, Fox is going to be kind of looking at, you know, the success of Logan and Deadpool. And they're going to be, they have a blueprint right there for future X-Men film success. But, you know, it's up to them whether or not they're going to follow it. I, I understand that that can be an issue because, like you said, there's two different timelines. And for the regular film gore, not the hardcore X-Men franchisee that might be able to gather it all in, I kind of equate it to the Assassin's Creed franchise in that unless you're paying close attention, it is really, really hard to follow. In fact, even for those that are paying attention, even they can't always describe you know the whole synopsis of the x-men franchise as far as from a storyline is concerned because it does get jumbled up because there's been different directors putting their two cents in and and it has messed up certain consistencies within the timeline over the course of time and like you said now you're dealing with two different timelines and two different time frames which makes it even more confusing for for the general fan and the general audience. So I think that's part of the reason why the X-Men franchise as a whole has seen some uh, downward trend as far as outside of the Logan. I know a lot of people were looking forward to this because this was the best representation of the X-Men franchise in, in Logan and Professor Xavier 
And they, everybody was thinking that, the, yes, this is going to be the last time we get to see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine on screen. So definitely going to make an effort to go see that. But X-Men Apocalypse not seeing, I guess, the kind of returns that 20th Century Fox wanted to see out of it leads me to believe that there's some work to be done as far as trying to reshape the franchise again into something a lot stronger. Do you see personally that the X-Men franchise can recover from this or do you see it falling a little bit farther before they find a way to get out? A lot of the DC films franchise. I think that in their attempts to reboot, I guess soft reboot, they're kind of digging a deeper hole for themselves. Uh, the biggest mistake of the X-Men franchise was, or two of them actually was having Brian Singer direct without having ever read an X-Men comic. Cause that was kind of the, the trampoline that kind of blew everything off in a different directions. And then having Brett Ratner direct the third one, who just kind of, he took the, the entire franchise, which was with X2, they were kind of bringing it back in, bringing it, you know, reeling it back in after it had been kind of tossed out there. And then Brett Ratner came and, you know, threw a stick of dynamite in the whole thing, just <laughs> exploded. Um, I, I, I think that, there really is no like great solution. They just need to come up with a great X-Men story and make a film about it. Give, give the fans something that they want. They need to pay attention to like what the fans are saying about the films because they're, you know, they, they can't, they try to reboot it with first class. And I, you know, those movies, while yes, they're, they're interesting. They're, it's really just not, you know, it's not what the fans really asked for. And, you know, because they, they, they've even gone so far as to start butchering that, too, because, you know, in X-Men Apocalypse, I thought that we were finally going to see a uh, some humanity from Magneto. And then they're like, oh, you know, we want him to be evil. So let's, uh, you know, let's take him out to a forest and we're going to shoot his daughter. So that that kind of made me uh, not not a huge fan. And they also have all these. So they Fox has all these movies planned and for all these uh, these characters and spinoffs and whatever you want to call it. And, you know, they're pulling a Spider-Man 3 or Amazing Spider-Man 2 and shoving all these characters. And so like what they do with Apocalypse, so they have all these characters sitting around waiting. And during these fights, they're just like standing still. Other people are fighting and then they'll go back to the same character five minutes later who's still like standing in a room or something. Like they're not properly utilizing the characters that they have on their bench. Well, I know you made an interesting point earlier when we were trying to, you know, just before this broadcast or whatnot, we were trying to talk about what's going on with the X-Men universe. And you made a good point as far as what seems to be the growing trend as far as you have a major franchise, but you're also focusing on offshoot films. And the Gambit film, which may or may not still be in production, it's in limbo, kind of not sure where it's at. Poor Taylor Glitch cannot get a break because he can't. He's not even going to be doing that one either. Um, but we won't. We won't talk about that. <laughs> but you know, the Gambit movie, if it does come back on, it will most likely be an offshoot movie similar in the in the realm of Deadpool and Logan. In, in that, it's going to be R rated. It's going to cater to a certain niche and and maybe stay focused within that realm. Whereas the X-Men franchise, which tries to stay in a PG-13, more widely accessible frame and format to a larger audience base, seemingly since the days of Future Past has, has not hit the mark that it should have. 
and and quite often, more than not, all it just seems cri- on a critical basis to see it's not in any shape or form done as well as it, as it should have, if at least from a critical standpoint. And now it seems to be from a general consumer standpoint as well. So, do you think that that 20th Century Fox at some point in time will, will reevaluate and and maybe take some time off, or do you think that their time is ticking, their time is limited, and at some point in time they're going to be able to have to hand over the reins back to Marvel. Do you see 20th Century Fox doing something drastic again in order to try and re-energize that part of the X-Men universe? Yeah, I see them doing something drastic. I also see them doing something detrimental to the future of their X-Men franchise. At this point, it's not really like what if they go back to Marvel. It's really an inevitability of the X-Men going back to Marvel. And I think that Fox, if they were smart before that happened and before they completely buried the franchise, they should maybe work out a partnership. Maybe we can see Logan or Wolverine with the uh, with the Avengers. I know that would bring Hugh Jackman back for sure. But there's you know there's a lot of things they can do. But at this point, like a full on reboot, or if they were to they they would never take time off this. They're trying to you know cash in on this superhero phase as much as they can. So it'd be, it would be, they would consider it a foolish marketing idea, I guess, to not, to not do it. I personally, like, I would love to see like these characters in the Marvel universe. And I think with Legion on FX, they've already kind of started that. I know that's an X-Men character that exists in the Marvel cinematic universe. Do you think they've taken steps as far as what Marvel's done with the Netflix universe and and using FX as that maybe that TV anchor, yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do. But I like because the uh, Legion on FX is owned by both Fox and Marvel, so it's it's an interesting partnership. And I think that if they can come together for that, maybe they can start building up other characters inside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like Sony is doing with Spider Man. And I think that. For like from this point forward, because they have butchered the X-Men franchise so much that the only way forward to get more money and more people invested into the franchise is to do that. I see them modeling what they're doing now with Legion after that because it you know the Marvel Netflix relationship has been so fruitful. And I think that the defenders will play a part in the upcoming Infinity Wars. Do you think that's gonna be the case as well? Oh, yeah, they'd be foolish not to. The internet is practically clamoring for it. So it'd be a really foolish decision not to have them show up at some point. And same thing goes for for Legion. I think at some point in time, some of the characters from that show, and maybe if this is the case, because Legion's doing very well, there may be others like it that are also going to follow on FX, you know, FXM and all the other offshoots that they have. I don't think Fox Sports, but anyways. But, you know, I think those characters that they have for those shows, you will be seeing in future X-Men movies down the road. So it's it's definitely uh, definitely going to be something we're going to be anticipating very much so. We're looking forward to hopefully some good things outside of those offshoot movies like Logan, like Deadpool, like Deadpool 2, and, and possibly even the Gambit movie as well. They've already got something that's already down pat that they're going to go and start working on. So I'm hoping they'll learn their lesson as far as where they want to go with the X-Men franchise, but we'll have to wait and see. 
I, I, I'm pretty sure their clock is ticking on what they can do for the X-Men franchise before they turn it over to Marvel. But if you have your thoughts on the X-Men franchise, you just go ahead and just send us a message. Start with the email at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, or you can send us a, a message via Facebook, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And if you like us, if you like us there, on Pop Culture Cosmos, up until the 18th, the grand prize is a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda. So you want to just go ahead, just hit the like button, hit it, click, 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 right there on the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page, and you will be in the running for that grand prize. And then coming up, we will talk about Mass Effect Andromeda and some of the concerns that are out there as far as the, this game coming out later this month. And and maybe it may not be the, the barn burner that everybody is hoping it, it will be. And and the stellar video game title that that we're hoping it will become. But first, before we head on out, we're going to just let you know again that we just truly appreciate listening to the number one show right here on the Podcast Radio Network. I uh, want to thank you again for listening. It's going to be a great show. Like I said, we're talking about Mass Effect and Dramana. And then later in the hour, we're going to be talking a little bit more about some of our picks coming up for our, our most favorite films exactly that are out there. We'll give you a taste of that coming up later in the episode. But uh, right now we've got a great song from Hyperschmidt that's coming up on the, the queue right now. So we truly appreciate listening to the number one show on the Podcast Radio Network. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Your fire You're burning Right through me As I show you love exists I am for you Close your eyes and lock your lips Still I am with you As I show you what love is Stars, I held you in 
That's Hurry from Hyperschmidt. Catch all their music today on their YouTube channel and hyperschmidt.com. That's H-Y-P-E-R-S-C-H-M-I-T-T dot com. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. Hey, everyone. If you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, Look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that punting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways. So if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today. 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach and get your home looking great with Always Green Synthetic Turf and Putting Greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse Channels. Previously on Podcast Rule. Glomer is one of the most underrated cartoon characters of all time. Some call Glomer the Jar Jar of the PBU, you know. <laughs> I haven't stepped foot inside of a subway since, really. And neither is Jared. That's <laughs> true. You're over at my home every every week. Is there a meth lab here? Not a big one. I choose him, the one called Kirk. <laughs> I'm freaking James T. Kirk. <laughs> Find out more about Podcast Roll now on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Google Play. And don't forget adamandjp.com and the ESO Network. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. My name is Gerald Glassford from the Pop Culture Cosmos Show and Game Source. We are the number one show. Again, we truly appreciate all you out there listening to us on the Podcast Radio Network. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Google Play, TuneIn, MixCloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network as well. Don't forget to catch our show on Friday nights. That's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. And all those outlets, too, it's the PCC Multiverse. 
Well, we talked about a little bit earlier about how if you like our Facebook page at Pop Culture Cosmos, and you will be in the running for a copy of the upcoming game, Mass Effect Andromeda. But I know recently there's been a lot of reports coming out from a lot of different outlets, IGN, GameSpot, and quite a few others that are having some concerns over exactly what they've been testing so far, the little bits that they've shown so far pre-alpha, and also different uh, videos that BioWare has shown itself. I have some concerns myself in what I have seen. The, the gameplay looks outstanding as far as you know the what you can do and alternate with it. As far as the class system is concerned, that's been revamped. The dialogue system has been revamped. And, of course, the storyline being set over 600 years in the future in a different part of the galaxy is, is definitely something that's, that's wrong indeed. And you will have... No relation to Mr. Shepard, which is actually standing right behind me, giving me the, that cold scowl right behind me right there. Like Dragon Age Inquisition, they were already... People complained about like a lot of the zones on that being far too big. I heard that the first area you, area you explore in Mass Effect Andromeda is probably about three or four times the size of the biggest uh, area exploration area in Dragon Age Inquisition. And if that's true, it's just I, I, I don't like see myself really wanting to put that many hours into a video game. I, I I might not even do a lot of the side quests. So that's my big concern is that it's just going to be so massive that I just lose interest in a lot of it. Well, that's one thing that, that people have brought up is that there are similarities to Dragon Age Inquisition and that there are those similarities as far as the, what exactly what you're talking about as far as what that game represented which was a highly rated game. In fact, you know, game of the year by, by a lot of individual uh, outlets out there. And, and they're concerned that it is just going to be falling into that type of category. I know one of my concerns is um, kind of like the Xenoblade Chronicles issue. It's, it's just so beautiful to look at. Mass Effect Andromeda is so beautiful to look at. But then you get right down to the nitty-gritty as far as the facial animations. And I know with the Xenoblade Chronicles, that was the issue. It's so beautiful everywhere else except for the faces. And I, I could see the detail and the lip-syncing not matching up already as far as from what I've seen in trailers and also gameplay footage. Uh, I kind of have some concern over that. And, and the animations as far as the walking is concerned in some cases, not always standing upright. They're kind of hunched, which was just kind of strange indeed. But those are the little nit, nitpicky things. Uh, I also have concerns over the new class system as far as, you know, you don't have to exactly adhere to one class, which is which is pretty good and, and all that. But how is that going to be a cohesive bind as far as being able to go ahead and, and for each encounter, you, you go ahead and apply characteristics on the fly? And is that going to be an issue and then also as well, are there going to be a lot of people who will just not want to go back into Mass Effect Andromeda Universe after what happened with Mass Effect 3? Mass Effect 3 came out five years ago this week to a great amount of anticipation. But instead, a lot of people were just really just outraged at the alternative endings that were shown, the only three different endings that you could really get. And I know a lot of people, there was really such a strong backlash from that and i know because of that uh, left the series left a lot of bad taste in, in their in their mouths as far as the decisions and ramifications that you made from one to two to three 
they seem to fall by the wayside at the ending. And I know a lot of people just were really irritated and really angry about that to the point where Bioware tried to make an, an ending that placated a lot of those individuals, but it, unfortunately it didn't soothe over everyone. So I ask you, could there also be a case of a lot of uh, ill will for gamers, even though it's been five years since Mass Effect three was released? Ooh, okay. Um, three things. First, like personally, uh, my personal opinion, I think that I am like I think I'm lucky in the fact that I'm coming into I came into the Mass Effect franchise hating it. I played the first one, hated it, and then I didn't finish it. But then I you know I let it sit on my shelf for a couple months, and then I went back and played it, and I absolutely fell in love with the series. So I've, I'm not expecting anything from the game. I just want to play. Let me it. guess: you you got stuck in an elevator, and you just did just got mad. Yeah, I was wandering around the Citadel for hours, and I just like I didn't understand like where this was going. So you know, and then I finally like stuck it out after watching some videos, reading reviews, and whatnot. But then I just I fell in love with the series. So I'm going into this game hoping that I, you know, maybe I don't hate it at first, but if I stick out the first like few hours of frustrating moments, then I'll end up loving the game. And uh, you know, as far as like your concern of, with people. Um, you know, not coming back to the franchise after Mass Effect 3. I think, what what have we had in terms of, like, open-world-type games since uh, since Mass Effect 3? We've had, you know, uh, Assassin's Creed. We've had Watch Dogs. Fallout 4. Fallout 4, a remaster. Well, Bioware's been quick to say that this is not an open-world game. Yeah, but, I mean, it's like that same, like, explore uh, exploration-style-type game. And I think that after a lot of, like, these really just repetitive games that uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is going to be like a welcome back to them. Though they're, I think they'll, they'll be over it. They've been hyping this game up for long enough. I think that people are over the, the bitter taste of Mass Effect three, you know, they're, they'll be willing to play another game. Well, one good thing is I don't think expectations are as high as they were for say no man's sky, which came out last year and, and disappointed many out there because the fact that just, the game itself was hyped to beyond unrealistic expectations and it failed to meet them by a large margin. I think this is a little bit more grounded and rooted in reality as far as what they expect the series to do. A lot of it based off of what happened in Mass Effect 3. I think Bioware learned its lesson from that end as far as ramifications of everything that you did and having consequences later on in that story. And if they go to another part of the trilogy, I'm thinking that Mass Effect Andromeda will do well enough to warrant further iterations. Like I said, I have some a lot of nitpicky concerns over from what I've seen and, and the footage that, that's been made available out there. And as a third-person shooter, no, it will never stand up to the Gears of War or the the Ubisoft third-person shooters that are out there or anything else that's out there that that's really a solid top-flight third-person shooter. But it's competent enough at this point in time and and smooth enough so that it people look are over, willing to overlook some maybe some technical flaws or some technical weaknesses in that part of it. it. It seems a little bit more fluid now as far as from what you're using melee to weapons to to biotics it seems to be doing a lot lot better in that in that sense and to me playing through the mass effect series 
I was enjoying the storyline and the exploration much more than the actual combat. I thought the combat was all right. I, I didn't really have an issue with it. I just didn't think it was anything special, even at later stages in the series. So I'm hopeful that that you know, Mass Effect Andromeda will take it up to a higher notch. Are you at least going to be able to give it a, a go through as far as from the main storyline standpoint and see how that fares? Oh heck yeah! I'm going to play through the main story. I just I, when it comes to games, like I have I have kind of like that OCD where I have to kind of do everything. I think that I might forego that for right now if the game is really as big as everyone's saying it's going to be. Um, but I. You know, I'm I'm excited to play it. I want to play through the main story. The I'm curious what the main story is, and you know, as far as how it's going to perform, I think that it's got it's garnered enough interest. There's a lot of people hyped about it. I think that you know, until the reviews come out saying that it's bad, I think that people are going to uh, you know pick up a copy of it. I think so as well. I think initially it will do very well. Whether or not the series will have legs again, like the previous iterations. That remains to be seen, but I, I'm generally optimistic on it. I know there were some technical issues that I thought maybe needs to be still be improved upon, but it doesn't look like it's going to be the case, at least in this iteration, but maybe future iterations going forward, they'll, they'll correct them indeed. What are your thoughts out there on Mass Effect and Drama? Just give us a line, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, popculturecosmos on Facebook, and at popculturecosmo on twitter you want to give us a shout out there and let us know what you think about the mass effect universe if you like us on our pop culture cosmos facebook page up until march 18th 2017 you can be eligible to win a grand prize that contest we're going to pick one winner and we're going to give them a free copy of mass effect drama so what do you have to lose like our facebook page today pop culture cosmos and you could be in the running for the grand prize of a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda. So when we return, we're going to be uh, talking a little bit more about the Pirates of the Caribbean. A new trailer came out for it uh, this week, and we want to just check in with, with Josh with his thoughts, and mine also as well, on where the Pirates of the Caribbean series is going. Is this truly the last go-around as been hinted, or is the adventure going to continue? Does it need to continue? And should it continue with Jack Sparrow? We'll answer those questions coming up. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And now Brian Wagner shares his thoughts on a pixel story from Lamplight Studios, available now on Steam, PS4, and Xbox One. Hey everybody, this is Brank, coming to you with my review of a pixel story. 
A pixel story is a love letter to the video games of yore. Its aesthetics span from 8-bit to present. It's a platformer that looks to the past and wants to capture all the magic that its inspirations oozed. It wants to evoke a feeling in you of youth, of having a whole day with nothing to do but play games. And while it succeeds most of the time, it also reminds you that games have come a long way. A Pixel Story, developed by Lamplight Studios, has all the trappings of something that 5-10 to year old me would have loved. It's a platformer with a quest system, quirky side characters, and an evolving art style. What young me, and 29-year-old me for that matter, would not have loved is its punishingly difficult platforming. Before I go into great lengths about what I like and dislike about A Pixel Story, I want to be upfront. I did not finish the game. I played for about six hours, cleared the first five levels, and saw three generations out of four. With that out of the way, let's get to the meat. Games can largely be boiled down to three chunks. Story, gameplay, and art, which encompasses art design, music, and overall tone. Spoilers ahead. A Pixel Story starts out with a cinematic of Pong. Yes, the Pong from 1972. And from there, it gets weird. Without spoiling the whole intro, I'll just say your character is the Pong Ball. Okay, I just spoiled most of the intro. After some weird machine cyber shit, you, the Pong Ball, become an anthropomorphic Pong Ball, with overalls, a scarf, disconnected hands, a la Raymond, and a hat. And now you and the world are 8-bit. After waking up on a beach, you meet Search, a search function, who sends you on a quest to retrieve your hat, which a seagull stole while you were unconscious. How or why you have a hat, I can't tell you. Not because I don't want to, but because I can't remember. I started four days ago, so obviously it was both important and meaningful. Backslash S. As you journey to get your hat from the dastardly seagull, you learn the basic platforming mechanics. Jumping, walking, and interacting with the world. Which means pulling levers, talking to people, etc. Very early on, you start meeting the colorful and interesting characters from the world. At first, I thought all the characters were going to be as dull and uninteresting as our lead, which I'll dub Pongy which I consider better than the name they gave him, Program, and his annoying sidekick, Search. However, within five minutes, you'll meet a weird green crab guy and his bird, who are both hilarious and interesting. I was originally thinking of posting a picture of him because that, ah, this must be a fluke. I must have stumbled on the only two interesting character designs in the game because the leads are so uninspired. However, nearly every character you meet in the game, save for a few guards, are both interesting and regularly hilarious. I don't want to ruin any of the jokes, but they are plentiful, and in rare video game occasion, they actually made me laugh. There's more to the story because, spoilers, you get the hat at the end of the first level, but what the actual point of the game is, I do not know. Gameplay. Now where I got more and more excited to meet the interesting characters with their silly pop culture references and fun design, I felt the exact opposite about the gameplay. Let me break down the gameplay for you. You walk around collecting coins, which you use to unlock challenge rooms, more on that later. You try to find gems, memory, to keep in tone with the programming aesthetic of the game, which help unlock the game's generations. And you do side quests, which generally give you gems, and main quests. There is a hub, the bedroom, where you can revisit levels you have already been to to collect gems or coins, finish side quests, or even travel directly to the challenge rooms. There's a level of exp- exploration that a pixel story offers that you would generally find in a metroidvania a 2d exploration based platformer style of game however i found it to be mostly shallow as it would normally lead to more gems or side quests to obtain more gems you need to keep collecting gems to unlock generations in the game however you only move generations after completing two levels and in that time you'll stumble across more than enough gems so you'll rarely need to get out of your way to find them 
Each level introduces a new mechanic, and these mechanics layer. For example, in the first level, you learn to jump and use the jump pad to jump higher or further. After retrieving the hat, which allows you to set it somewhere, then warp to that location, you will use the jump pads with a hat to do some portal-style jumping. While the platforming is serviceable, the game demands precise platforming, but delivers imprecise controls. Unlike a Super Mario Bros. game, where there is very little input lag, a pixel story either has a lot of input lag, the controls are too floaty, or something else is wrong. In my six hours or so of playing, I could never really get a handle on what felt off, but something definitely felt off. This feeling of imprecision is magnified when you enter the challenge rooms. Now, I love Super Meat Boy. Many people do. After trying several challenge rooms, I assume the creators of A Pixel Story really love it. I played each of the challenge rooms for about 20 to 30 minutes, however they were far too difficult. Thankfully, the main game is filled with a pretty forgiving checkpoint system that also doubles as fast travel, and it is rare to have to do more than two difficult jumps in a row. That being said, a single difficult jump can take upwards of 10 minutes as the game demands a precision that is very difficult to execute on. Art. This is the toughest section for me to touch on, and in all honesty, I don't have a lot to say. The art is uninspired in some spots, the valley, adequate in most, the temple and the volcano, and beautiful in others. I'm looking at you, Bayou Level. Whenever you delve into the historicity of games and try and evoke nostalgia, it becomes hard to really feel fresh or innovative. With that being said, I felt that the tone did stay consistent. As I was unable to make to the fourth generation, I can't say if the art evolves and becomes magnificent or masterful in this fourth generation. However, I am very doubtful as I dislike the third generation, which looked like Nintendo 64 Dreamcast era. The character design is a mixed bag, and I know I stated this earlier, but I want to reiterate that the character design for the side characters is vastly more interesting than the two leads. I want to stay in the world and hang out with those funny-looking, quirky, beaner, potato-shaped people. As a musician, I am very particular about sound design in games, and sadly, I disliked nearly everything I heard in the first generation, or the 8-bit era. From the sound effects to the score, everything was way too boring and repetitive. It did get significantly better during the 16-bit levels, the bayou and the volcano. Um, was that a choice by the composer? Maybe. But if so, I think it was a bad choice to start the game with the least interesting cuts from the soundtrack, even if 8-bit game soundtracks were way more constricted. With all the negativity that I just wrote, I want to comment on a standout moment for the music where I remember thinking, this is funny catchy. It's the free fall section right before the volcano stage, which was an excellent stage for gameplay as well. Conclusion. A Pixel Story is a good platformer. It's not great, but it's also a fairly reasonably priced indie game, 12 bucks. While there are better fl platformers that have been made recently, Ori in the Blind Forest is one of my faves, it still might scratch your itch if you really want an old school platformer. Or if you want a game that tries to cover game's history and evoke nostalgia by traversing aesthetic evolution while playing, you could do worse. However, I think Evil Land 2 might be the better choice. After six hours, I found that I don't really want or need to return to it. The repetition and difficulty mixed with the controls feeling imprecise and slightly off just kept me from feeling anything other than it was just good, not great. There were moments in the game where I fell in love with it, but as the game continually kept asking me, what is love? Three and a half stars out of five. For more of Brian's review, check it out today on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com.
All right, we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford with Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media, Josh Peterson. If you like what we do, please, we truly recommend you giving our Facebook pages a try. Humanica Media on Facebook, also Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And if you like us on the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page, anytime before 3.18.17 at 11.59 p.m., you will be in the running for a grand prize of a copy of Mass Effect Andromeda. So, Josh, let me ask you, did you get a chance to check out the latest Pirates of the Caribbean trailer that came out from our wonderful friends at Disney? I did. I I did. I watched it a couple times. You you saw it, right? Absolutely, indeed. Uh, I know Javier Bardem got a lot more interplay as far as, you know, what his character is all about. Do you think first off they showed a little bit too much in, in as far as the backstory is concerned with why he wants to go after Jack Sparrow with such abandon? I don't, I think they showed just enough to make people interested in the movie because before the, the Super Bowl spot, it, it didn't really give a whole lot away. It's you're like, Hey, yeah, Orlando Bloom's there. You know, there's some cool explosions, a lot of dudes walking on half dead dudes walking on water. Um, you know, it didn't really, it just gave you mayhem. It didn't really like organize it at all. And I think with this new trailer, it, it gave me a reason to want to go see it. I'm like, Oh, Hey, that's cool. Or a a young Jack Sparrow. I want to know, like, we don't know a lot about after it was, you know, seeing him for four movies, we still don't know that much about who he is. And that that's, that's what's always been appealing to me about that series. But I think that it's, they, they said that it is the, the what? Are the, how do they phrase it? The beginning or the last adventure? The, the be- last adventure. And I think that that I don't think that this is going to be the last movie. I think they're going to make a trilogy. So there will be two more movies after this to kind of wrap it up. And whether or not they'll, con- I don't think they'll continue with Jack Sparrow. I know he is the face of the franchise, but what if these new younger characters are like the new, you know, Elizabeth Turner and Will Turner, and they're you know, they're going to go on. I, I think they're kind of reaching the end of the age of piracy, though, as far as, uh, you know, history is concerned. Well, what concerns me is that these younger characters, I, I don't know their names. I have to look it up on IMDb. And forgive me for that. But they've just not been memorable enough for me to, to actually want to care. And they seem to be a bigger part than actually Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley are appear on the surface. I could be wrong. But on the surface, Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom don't seem to be as heavily involved in it from what I've seen in the trailers and whatnot. So is this a concern because other individuals than the ones we've become accustomed to are getting more in the limelight? Is this something that you're okay with? Let me know your thoughts on the the younger actors and also as well the younger cgi which seems to be all the rage now a younger version of jack sparrow himself that was shown i see that's a tough question i i wasn't it wasn't a bad cgi version obviously it wasn't star wars rogue one bad but you know to me it reminded me a lot of uh robert downey jr when in in captain america civil war as far as uh just a younger version of his face which I thought was, you know, it was okay. Got the idea across. See, I've always, for me, I've always liked the Pirates movies. Like, I, if not for the story, I just liked, like, being in a movie theater and and existing in that time frame for some reason. It's just, it's always, 
kind of brought out my inner child, but I don't think the CG is, it, the, you know, it's a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, so obviously it's going to have over-the-top just about everything. So I'm not really concerned about the CG. And as for the younger characters, you know, this has nothing to do with the movie, but do you notice how the two young characters from the last one, this that kind of made their careers skyrocket a little bit. So I think that it's a good jumping off point for them as far as like a future career goes. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to know who they are because it kind of made the, the young male character seem like he was, you know, a monk or something. And then the other one's more adventurous. So it's kind of a different dynamic than with Will Turner and Elizabeth Swanson. Well, I definitely hope it plays out well. I am, hoping for maybe a revitalization of the actual Pirates of the Caribbean franchise because I think it's gone a little bit off in as far as direction is concerned I, from what truly made the original so enjoyable. So I'm, I'm hoping for the, the franchise to be put right back on track. And, and let us know your thoughts on the Pirates of the Caribbean universe. You can just send us an email, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and at Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. You can send us a, a line and tell us your thoughts on the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. And, and definitely would love to hear your thoughts indeed. So when we return, we're going to close out the show with our thoughts on some of our most favorite films that are out there that we have enjoyed over the years. We're going to be sharing with you coming up. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back in 2017 with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back for the final segment right here on the pop culture cosmos my name is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you listening to the number one show on the podcast radio network we're here every monday night 10 30 eastern 7 30 p.m pacific also check out our friday show the pcc multiverse 7 p.m eastern 4 p.m pacific on fridays on the podcast radio network and both shows you can listen to them every single day there's already quite a few shows that are out there available for you that's going to be available to download at any time you want on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast.com, Google Play, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangentbound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network as well. So I've actually challenged my good friend Josh Peterson, the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanic Media, my, my cohort in crime here on the show, we're going to be writing some some articles here in the near future on our popculturecosmos.wordpress.com page and, and, and our beautiful site that's up there. You should check out. There's a lot of great articles there already. I want to just uh, challenge him to, to think of his 25 most favorite films, and I'm going to be sharing my top 25 as well. So I ask you, Josh, in honor of that, we're – Without any order, without any specific telling of the numbers, where they're going to line up, just tell us a little bit about a handful of, of those movies and, and your thoughts on why they are just so special to you. All right. I've got five for you right here. Okay, you ready? I've got Kingdom of Heaven, a severely overlooked movie. It was 
in my opinion, one of Ridley Scott's best. It's just the story got me, the acting got me, and I could, I mean, that's my go-to movie. I could watch it over and over and over just because it's such a great movie. Okay, number two. Or not number two. No, not no, number two, yeah, yeah, no numbers, no numbers, not, no, no numbers. numbers. Okay, no. I'm just throwing this out here. Aliens, okay? I don't care who you are. Aliens was a fantastic movie. Even if you're not into sci-fi, you need to watch Aliens just because it's such a staple of cinematic achievements. And in honor of Bill Paxton. In it's honor game of, over, man. Game over. Screwed, man. There's been just about every sci-fi movie, book, and video game to come out after the 80s was basically a direct ripoff of Aliens. The Great Outdoors with John Candy. This is one of those movies where it's like, I love it, and I can quote almost the entire movie, but I can't talk about it with people because nobody else has seen it. And, that you know, it makes me feel awkward sometimes, but I just, I, I don't know. There's something about it that I really like. You, you got to watch. I can't even explain it to you. Snatch. Okay. Guy Ritchie. I will watch anything made by Guy Ritchie. It, it can be a documentary about, you know, the the mating habits of sloths, and I will still watch it. I, there's something about that guy's movie-making skills that are pure magic. But Snatch was probably one of the first movies that I could say, like, yeah, this was a good movie. As, as a, I got Snatch probably around, you know, that was the, the first time I was able to truly appreciate a movie was with Snatches. Excellent writing, excellent action, and just a really just well-paced movie. And then I have The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay, this might make me unpopular. I don't know. I, I love the books, and I don't understand why it performed so poorly in box office, and I was really hoping for a sequel, and I don't know if that sequel ever happened. I've, I'm reading things that it might, but uh, you know, Daniel Craig's busy with James Bond, or not being James Bond, we don't really know at this point. Is one of those movies that really followed the book page to page, and that really made it something special to me. But now, Gerald, I ask you, tell me about your list. Some of them, you know, don't use numbers. Just, just uh, go for it, you know. Oh my! Well, I'll, I'll say this: that hopefully the top twenty-five that both you and I present on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com will at least start a conversation with people on their favorite movies, whether they like ours or they don't like ours. At least I'm hoping that it will definitely create and spur that conversation indeed. And and my hopes out there to everybody to check it out later this week coming up on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So that leads into some of my choices that will be in the top 25. Again, I will not say where they're going to fall you're going to have to check it out yourself on the article. But definitely, I'm hoping some of these will actually spur some conversation with people on on why they are, should be some of the favorite movies of, of all time with people. So I'm going to start with the Star Trek reboot in 2009. I know some people have an issue with that film, but I know a lot of people just really like it. I know um, – I don't want to say Star Trek hardcore fans. Star Trek hardcore fans see as a whole seem to accept the Star Trek reboot. I know a lot of newer fans, and and I know a lot of casual movie audiences. I know a lot of, no, I don't want to say hipsters, but let's just say hipsters to this generation really do like Star Trek 
the 2009 reboot and they actually watch it repeatedly on TV when it comes on because of the way JJ Abrams made and crafted. He used a style that you now see in the force awakens that it's was done and shot very quickly. Uh, a lot of humor, uh, just very enjoyable to watch. It's an easy watch definitely for the two hours it's on and, and definitely tells a great story in the origins of Kirk and also Spock and how they came together along with the rest of the team. So definitely the Star Trek reboot will will land somewhere in my top 25. I would be remiss if I didn't put at somewhere in the top 25 Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, Without that movie not being on the top 25, it really wouldn't be a top 25 for me. So definitely uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, which I've said is is an outstanding spy movie as just as much as an outstanding superhero movie. Shawshank Redemption, which I think is the best portrayal of Stephen King's novels ever. I'm sorry to the It, and I'm sorry about to all the other adaptations that that have come onto the screen. And last but not least, it's an oldie but goodie. But if you get a chance on the, you know, you check it out, North by Northwest, which I think set the standard. And really, to me, you know, I know it's a 1959 film, but. I think if you're you're truly looking for the origins of the action thriller genre, I think you got to look right there. And I know people are going to be mad when I say this, but to me, and this is to me, it is the best Alfred Hitchcock film. Well, uh, Josh and I have talked to so much about our, our films that are going to be appearing in our top 25, which will be coming out later this week on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. But what are some of your favorite movies? Send us a line at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, popculturecosmos on Facebook, at popculturecosmos on Twitter. So once again, we thank you for for being a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos, the number one show on the podcast radio network. For Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you so much for listening, and here's hoping you have yourselves a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com Tangent Bound Network Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com